journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov and welcome to 101.9 High FM. I'm Adol Kazilski and I'm with you for the next three quarters of an hour doing my favorite, hopefully yours as well. We are learning Torah together. We're learning about the redemption and important to learn about the redemption. And here I'm talking about the redemption from um, Egypt. It is the, the prototype of all redemptions. And in fact, it says everything that happened in Egypt is going to happen at the end of days, time that I believe that we are living in now. And um, there is lots to learn about, about this redemption. So please sit back, relax. If you're at home, make yourself a cup of coffee or some lunch. Some nutritious lunch would do well as well. And let's continue on our journey of the mystical text. We are learning the actual Bible. Um, and uh, we are in chapter 12, verse 41 of, of, uh, of Exodus. And we've, we've left Egypt. We have. Um, but there are still a lot of things that we need to discuss in our coming out of Egypt. We haven't come to the most dramatic of it all, and that is the splitting of the Red Sea. Right now, we are journeying forward. Um, we had the Egyptians kick us out. Very soon, we are going to see that poor old Pharaoh is going to change his, uh, his mind. But in the meantime, let's discuss some things about the redemption. I'd love to know your thoughts about history today. Um, I was talking to somebody earlier this morning, um, a gentile, lovely, wonderful, good friend, lady of mine, a, a lady that I, I, I was uh, uh, working with this morning, and we were talking about world events. And, you know, she felt and she said that she, she she's in the medical field and that she treats, you know, people from all different walks of life. And she said that she feels that across the board, everybody is saying that we're living in unprecedented times and everybody is waiting for a redemption of sorts. Are you? And if you are, I would love to hear what redemption you're looking forward to. What does Mashiach mean to you? Um, while I carry on in the text and I will be discussing what it is from a Jewish point of view. So let's look at chapter 12, verse 41. It was the end of 430 years. We discussed this last week that 430 um, is an interesting number because that's not how long the redemption took. But I'm not going to go through all of that if you've missed that. And um, you all know that uh, we have podcasts and you can go back and work that out. But it was the end of 430 years. And on that very day, all of God's people left Egypt. And what we see over here is a fundamental concept that when the time had come, not even a second um, was was spent longer, like God didn't even wait an instant. And the 431 of the explanations was that the decree that the Jews would go down to Egypt and be enslaved by the Egyptians was made, um, the decree was given rather, to Abraham, to our forefather Abraham at the 
Brit Bain Haptarim, the pact between the halves. And on what date was that? That was on the 15th of Nisan. Okay, the 15th of Nisan is a very, very significant date. That was the, the, day, the date that um, Abraham received the prophecy that we would be slaves. 430 years later, on that very same day, we left um, Egypt. Interestingly, though, um, in between that 430 years, we actually um, have the 15th of Nisan was when Yosef, Joseph, was also freed from prison and prisoner and became viceroy of Egypt. And then 219 years later, which made up the 430 years, we, we left. So the first thing that we have to learn about redemption, interestingly, is that many, many times um, we are told that it comes in a blink of an eye. And it, like, it just comes upon us um, very, very, very quickly. We've seen how certain um, world events happen literally in a blink of an eye, and then the world is changed forever. Um, so we are waiting for the redemption, and when the redemption comes, it's ready, set, go. It's not going to be, you know, okay, let's adjust, let's talk about it, let's, you know, make plans. It's just going to happen. So it is a, a custom or it is a uh, paradigm in which we function that we should be ready with our suitcases packed uh, and be ready to be redeemed at any moment like the Jewish people. Verse 42 of chapter 12, Hashem Shimurim Mitzrayim That this 15th of Nisan, okay, um, became a night of vigil. Leil Shimurim means a night of guarding, meaning that God kept vigil. Vigil. He, 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 was, he was our security, and he watched that night, and he waited for it to come so that he would be able to fulfill his promise to Abraham to bring his descendants out of Egypt. Um, and that's why God said to Abraham, to Abraham, know that on this night, I will redeem your descendants. So God was very vigilant. He was waiting for exactly 12 o'clock on the 15th of Nisan, and he did exactly as he promised He promised Abraham um, to do. But Leo Shemurim has another connotation, and that is, is that it is a night of guarding for the Israelites. Because why? Shemurim also comes from Shamor, to God, and what we're saying over here is that during that night, they were protected by God from all the forces of destruction that, that, that came into Egypt. And so it is a custom of ours on the first night of Pesach, the eve of the first night Seder that we have, that is called Lel Shimurim, okay? Um, and very interestingly, um, the, 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 the custom is to leave our doors open and to, to not say the full Shema when we go to sleep because we believe there is extra vigilance um, on God's part. There is, it's a night of guarding and we are able to um, remain protected from anything. So that's really, really interesting and that's why the first night of Pesach is 
called Lel Shemurin. But they were really, in history, very interestingly, there are four special nights, four special nights that we need to take into account. What are they? Well, the first special night was the night that God revealed himself to create the world. If you go back and you look in the, the description, the narrative of creation, you will see that the second verse says, the earth was empty and void, and there was a darkness on the face of the deep, and then God created light. So this was the first night, because once he created light, we had a distinction by Erev, by Boker, Yom Echad. There was night and there was day, the first day. Okay? Um, so that was a very, very special night because it was when God revealed himself to the world and he made that distinction. The second very special night is the night we mentioned right now where God revealed himself to Abraham at the Brit Bain Haptarim um, and where he then said, on this night, I will come and reveal myself to the Jewish people. The third night, of course, is the 15th of Nisan, when God revealed himself in Egypt. He killed all the firstborn, and he spared all the Israelites, which leaves us with one more night. Do you know what it is? I wonder. If anybody would like to guess a chance, 34519 is our SMS line, 061895. 1019 is our telegram number. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. You're listening to 101.9 Hi FM. You're listening to Adel Kozilski. That's me. <clears throat> I'm doing my favorite thing, and that's teaching Torah. Hope you're enjoying we were speaking just before the break that there were four special nights in history. The first was the first night of history um, when God created the world, created light, and made a distinction between night and day. And we have that there was the night and the day, the first day. The second most important night was the night where God made the covenant with Abraham with the Brit Bain Haptarim. That was the 15th of Nisan. Then we have the 15th of Nisan. Um, when the Jews went out, which we were just uh, uh, discussing, and this is really what got us onto the night, and that is called Lel Shimurim. So when is the fourth night, according to the Midrash? Well, that's when the future redemption will occur. And after which, once we have the, the future redemption, the redemption that's coming right now, there will be no further exile. We're told that all our enemies' weapons will be destroyed. Our enemies will no longer be able to destroy us. It says Moses, this is from Midrash, I'm quoting Midrash, Moshe will, come from Ro um, Moshe will come out of the desert and the Messiah will come from Rome. And each one will come on the clouds of glory. The two will meet. The final redemption will come. And that night is also to be set by God as the redemption of Israel. And to note that the redemption from Egypt um, occurred at night since it was not complete. It was a temporary redemption since it was followed by a further exile, further persecution. So it was like a lamp in the darkness, right, where light is only temporary. But the final redemption will also take place by night, but that night will be as light as daylight. How do we know that? 
because there is a verse in Isaiah and Yeshiyahu that says the light of the moon will be like the light of the present sun and the light of the sun will be sevenfold that which it is today, which means that the light that God created right at the beginning of creation, on that first day where he said, when God created light, that light actually wasn't the sun because the sun was created on the fourth day. This light um, was actually stored away for the righteous, and we're told that when Mashiach comes, we will be able to have the benefit of that, that light. So I think it, 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 it behooves of me right now, and I'm happy and willing and wanting for you guys to join the conversation on 34519 or 061-895-1019. Um, it's behooving to talk about the final redemption because, hey, I feel it in my bones. I certainly have been feeling it for a, a long time. For anybody who knows me, um, I have been an advocate of trying to bring Mashiach consciousness to the world, showing people how we are seeing the fulfillment of redemption. We're seeing the fulfillment of prophecy um, in our times. And certainly it feels even more now after uh, the events of October 7th that we are really in the throes of um of, of redemption. We are birthing. We are in active labor. We are in active, active labor. And what will the final redemption look like? How is it that we can bring that final redemption closer? What are we supposed to do? Do we believe in it? There's so much, so many questions um, about it. And um, what we need to understand is that this world is not a haphazard place. It's not an existence that just comes and goes. You know, we, we rock up onto the planet. We live for whatever, 120 years, and then we just uh, move on. And there is no purpose. There is a purpose to this world. The purpose of the world was embedded in creation. The purpose of this world was to make a dwelling place for God in a world that seemingly and physically looks devoid of him. So today, when we sit in our chairs or you're listening to me on the radio waves, you look outside, you look around you, and you see physical reality. And all this physical reality seems to be a denial of God in that there is no sense or no understanding or no feeling of the fact that there is a God. But truthfully, and this is taught in, in, in the Kabbalistic teachings and the Hasidic teachings, Everything that you do look at, the tree, the sky, the grass, the flowers, the cars, the people, everything that you are perceiving through your physical reality, through your physical um, lens, is in fact a revelation of godliness insofar as this godly energy that infuses all of what you see with life. Well, you can then go and argue, oh, I can't really see my table jumping for joy. My table doesn't talk to me, and my table doesn't seem to have any life. I could maybe buy your theory if I'm talking to another person where I see life. Um, maybe I could even buy the theory that there is life in the animal world and the natural in, in the plant world. You can see um, movement. You can see some type of connection with the physical world. The inanimate is there really life? And in truth, there is. There is energetic life in absolutely everything. And it just depends how, how fast, how volatile that life is. Because 
when it comes to a human being, we are imbued with life. We are imbued with a, a, a godly soul. And that godly soul lives in our physical body. When I am talking to you, um, and if you would be looking at me, while you would see a manifestation of who I am, my talking to you is coming from my soul, not from, from me as a physical person. My soul is talking through my vocal cords, is animating my hands, is making me um, talk through the vehicle of the body to express myself in this world. And so I am a very living being, a very, um, uh, what's the word, energetic, energetically moving um, part of God. And I'm able to express and indulge and connect with the world in a very, very profound way. But as we go down the echelon of creation, we go down to animals. Animals also communicate, right? For all you dog lovers, lovers out there and animal lovers, right? We have connections with animals. We can see the animals have feelings. The animals are able to express themselves, albeit to a more limited manner. But nevertheless, they express themselves. And that's why we have an incredible connection with the animals. We see the animals also interacting between themselves um, and that they do have a, a, a sense of, of, of connection. We go down the ladder to the plant kingdom, and while we cannot see the same type of communication that an animal would have with each other, definitely plants communicate. They flower, they blossom, they, 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 they move in the wind. There's been many, many experience, experiments shown that, that plants too have feelings and that you know, they, they do have a life of themselves. Down to the very most, the bottom rung, um, we're looking at the inanimate. And when we look at the inanimate, we don't perceive life. We see it literally as an animate. Stone is a stone is a stone. But if we are to take this theory and understand that everything has the energy of life in it, everybody, every, everything that has been created has a piece of energy that we call godliness in it that animates it, then we understand that our table, our chair, our stone, the mountain, also has energy. But this energy, in a sense, is far more, I can use the word stagnant, in that, that it doesn't vibrate at a higher level that allows the expression that you will see in a human being and an animal and lesser in a plant. Nevertheless, inanimate is animated by godliness and kept together. And again, if we make that extension even further, if godliness would remove, be removed from anything in this world, it wouldn't be that we would fall into a clump on the floor, but we would just literally cease to exist because our entire existence, even our physical bodies and everything around us is animated by godliness. Now, let's go back as to this idea of redemption. Seems like I took a little bit of a... Uh, What's the name, right? A detour. What is the purpose of this world? The purpose of the world is to rele release this godliness into this world, to, to reveal a God consciousness in this world, to understand that while we are physical people, living in physical bodies, dealing in a physical way, there is the energy of God around us all the time. And what we've been doing for the last 5,000 years is with every mitzvah, with every kind deed, with every learning of Torah, with every... Um, expansion of consciousness and understanding this reality, we're bringing this reality more and more real to ourselves. 
that there will come a point where there will not be a distinction between physical and spiritual, but we will see them as one and the same thing. If I could describe it as such, there is a story told of Reb Shneer Zalman of Liadi. Shneer Zalman of Liadi was a student of the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid of Mezridge, um, third in line in the Hasidic movement, the first Chabad um, Rebbe of the Chabad dynasty. It says that when he was on his deathbed, um, and obviously he was lying and he was looking up at the ceiling that was made of wooden rafters, his students, and he, his soul was about to leave his body, Students asked and said, said to him, Revi, what is it that you see? And he said, I just see godliness. Like as he was moving from the physical realm in back into the spiritual realm, returning his soul from whence it came, even physical reality melted, and he only saw um, spiritual reality. So coming back to the redemption, why are we close to the redemption today? Why is it that we believe with fervent faith in the coming of Mashiach? Why is it now that people are talking more and more about Mashiach and that, that, that we are coming to a messianic redemption? Because for 5,000 years, all the time from the time God created heaven and earth, he created light, he created Adam and Eve right throughout history, particularly and more so when Abraham um, recognized this force of godliness in the world and forged them ahead um, with a people whose godly consciousness Will, will be empowering and, 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 and um, attributable to raising the consciousness of this world. If we have been doing mitzvahs and we're keeping the commandments of God and we're connecting to God, we are building this God consciousness. And we're at a point now, even though we cannot see it, but we can feel it and we can understand it, that this, the world has moved into a much greater consciousness now. And so we are at the footsteps of Mashiach. Now, one of the things that has to be done and that has to happen with the arrival, with the, the, the um, what word can I use, with the appearance of Mashiach, which means it will be a world for Jew and Gentile alike, a world of peace, a world of health, a world of love, a world of kindness. There won't be all the, this, this horrible negativity and evil that we see today. One of the things that does have to happen is that anything that is absolutely contrary to godliness has to be expunged. And today we are seeing that. We have seen the most unspeakable brutality, unspeakable inhumaneness that, that, uh, that human beings, I'm not even sure that we can call it human beings anymore, but really devil incarnate stuff of how people can go and commit atrocities like we saw on October the 7th. And this has caused an uprising in this world. One of those who are God-sensitive, who appreciate love, kindness, integrity, honesty, morality, goodness, respect for every human being, to outcry and say, we can't go back to this type of brutality. This is so, so anti-God. And then we have those on the other side who sadly for all sorts of reasons, have been miseducated, who have been radicalized, and who believe that redemption comes through the burning of humanity, through the killing of what they call infidels. And so what we're seeing today is really the fight of good and the evil. 
And it mimics the coming out of Egypt because until that, that point of redemption, Egypt too had stooped to the lowest levels of brutality, of inhumaneness, of self-serving power. Pharaoh was a megalomaniac. He was a narcissist. And he had led the majority of the Egyptians down that path. Just like we saw with our own eyes what happened on October 7th, it happened in Egypt. They drowned babies into rivers. They slaughtered two to three hundred babies a day, and Pharaoh bathed in their blood. When people didn't fulfill their, their quota for building the pyramids, they would put human beings in the, in the place of bricks. They killed people, slaughtered people, maimed people, enslaved people. But negativity and all of this horrible behavior does not last forever. Evil, evil cannot oxygenate itself forever. And the way to deoxygenate it, the way to kill it off, is twofold. One, you have to eradicate the evil, not allow it to flourish in our midst. That is what Israel is doing right now. It is not against the Palestinian people. It is against the cruelty and the, 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 the negative, negative um, energy that Hamas brings. And Hamas, Hamas is so, so cruel that it's cruel to its own people. And it has to be eradicated. It's not something that you can negotiate with. When you have a cancer growing in your body, you can't be nice to the cancer and negotiate with it and try try have a, a peace agreement with it. You have to exercise, exercise it out. You have to cut it out. You have to kill it with chemotherapy and radiation and whatever it takes to, 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 to actually stop it in its tracks. And so we have to fight the evil. And we have to stand up for the evil, uh, against the evil. We have to be vocal against the evil. Being silent right now is not where it's at because then you are complicit with the evil that is trying to run its tyranny around the world. But on the other side, and even more importantly, a little bit of dark, light dispels a lot of darkness. So there is a place to fight the darkness, and we need to do that. But more than that, we need to bring light into this world. You see the negativity. You see the, the evil response. You see the brutality. You see the, the contempt with which human life is being treated. You bring light into the world by doing the exact opposite, by showing love, by showing respect, doing acts of kindness, taking upon yourself a mitzvah, bringing more God consciousness into this world. Because guaranteed, and I say guaranteed with not even a 0.001% chance of it not happening, this is a 100% guarantee that light will conquer darkness, that there will be redemption, that this horrible place that we're finding ourselves in right now is going to go away. And we are going to go live in a world of love, of respect, of honesty, of integrity and of brotherhood for all mankind. And it's about to happen. What have you done 
to make this process happen quicker. Think about that. This is 101.9 Chai FM. Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, this is Adel Kozilski, and we are looking at the... Um, the final redemption, just a few more things that I want to add in. Rabbi, Rabbi Yehoshua says the first redemption was in Nisan, and so the final redemption will be in Nisan. Rabbi Eliezer taught, however, that the initial redemption will be in Nisan, the final redemption will be in Tishrei. So which is it? Which is the right way? And the answer is, is that they are both correct, because when Moshe came to Pharaoh, if you recall, his words only served to anger Pharaoh, and it caused to it caused the servitude, the negativity, um, the, the the slavery to be harsher, and he refused the Israelites to fall for their bricks. Moshe then went returned to his father-in-law Jethro, Yitro, in Midian. He remained there for six months. Then he came back to Egypt and he began to bring the ten plagues on the Egyptians. There is a tradition. Um, that the ten plagues lasted a full year, during which time Jewish people were free from their harsh tasks. So from all this, we see that when Moshe appeared to Pharaoh the first time, it was Tishrei, that's Rosh Hashanah time. Since he spent six months in Midian, the ten plagues began in Nisan, and that is why Rabbi Eliezer says the following. He maintains that in the time of the final redemption, the Redeemer will also appear in Tishrei, that will be the beginning of the redemption, and the Redeemer will disappear only to reveal himself again in Nisan, and that will be the time of the complete redemption, and it's based on some words in the prophet Micha. As in the days when you left Egypt, I will show you wondrous things. Now, the redemption from Egypt took place on two days. First, when Moshe initially appeared to Pharaoh, and then when the Israelites left Egypt. We're told then that's going to happen as well with us. Now, one of the other things that we know is that the redemption took 210 years. There was slavery for 210 years, and then the redemption came. The question we can ask ourselves here is, my goodness gracious, our exile has not been 210 years. It's been close to 3,000 years. It's been going on and on and on. There actually have been a few redemptions and exiles. I don't want to get into it completely, but there have been four. Um, periods of um, exile. The fourth is where we are now. It's the longest. It's called Ganut um, Edom, the Edomite exile. Why have we been hanging around here for so long? What is it that we need to do in order to bring Mashiach? There are many, many um, commentators, many, many people asking, um, asking the question and trying to understand it. I'm just going to share one or two more. Um, but um, there is a, an opinion in the Gomorrah that Rabbi Yossi ben Chalakta asked the very question of Rabbi Yitzchak, and he said that we were redeemed initially because of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. The final redemption will be in the merit of Moshe. But what is the merit of Moshe? And we are taught and um, we learn this out that Moshe, who was Moshe, Moshe was, was, was our greatest leader. He gave us the Torah. And so it's all about studying Torah, like you're doing right now. Well done to everybody who is listening. So it says, if we don't study the Torah, we will forget it. Um, and if we do that, then we forget God, God. So in order for the redemption to come, we need to strive to set aside certain hours every day for Torah study. 
If you want to study on your own, there's plenty of resource around, um, certainly on the web. FM is one of them. Um, you know, between two and four every single day, we're teaching you Torah. So we, you need to make sure that you are learning about your heritage. You are finding out what it is that is your purpose. You're finding out why the Jewish people were placed here. And learning Torah certainly um, will increase the merit because it was given by Moshe and we too will be redeemed. There are other opinions that are saying that we are not redeemed yet because we haven't done Tuthuba, we haven't done repentance. Um, and what does that mean? Well, repentance isn't really what Teshuvah is. Teshuvah really in, 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 in its truest sense means to return to God. And this goes, comes back to my preface that I was talking about that we need to come back to a God consciousness in this world. That is the Teshuvah. That is the, the essence of us returning back to who we really are. We are really, who are we really? We are souls enclosed in bodies that have come on a mission to this world to reveal the godliness in this world. We are not physical human beings that live in a place and that drives this car and has this degree. We're not that. That is incidental to our existence. And finally, one other idea that uh, the rabbis give is that we need to pray. We need to want this. We need to ask Hashem, and we do. If you certainly look in the Jewish prayers, we always talk about um, Gaal Israel that Hashem has to redeem us. We ask Hashem to um, return us to, to, to Zion. We say that it's one of the 13 principles of faith to wait for Mashiach. You've got to want this. And you would think to yourself, why is it that I need to want this? Because this world, if we don't want it and we don't want to bring it into our lives, we will live a very uneasy life. We will feel displaced as we do do. There is so much um, dis-ease today, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, people looking for the answers like, hey, is this what life is really all about? Life isn't about just climbing up the corporate ladder, getting the new car, having 15 pairs of shoes in the cupboard. Life isn't about that because, hey, guess what? In a blink of an eye, over 120, you will go down six foot under in a plain wooden coffin and you'll have taken nothing with you. So then what? We're here just to humiliate physical things? No, we're not. We're here to live godly lives and connect on a spiritual, soulful level with the, the creation that God has created around us. And it's vitally important that we start regaining our purpose, returning back to who we are, praying for what we really need. What we need is a world filled with love and kindness and honesty and integrity and respectability and where humanity can live together in peace and harmony. This aggression, this hostility, this negativity that is around us is not how God wants to live. And it's up to us to work on this relationship, on us to have that relationship with God, and for us to spread that relationship with everybody else. I'm going to leave you with those thoughts this week and, and, and give you a, 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 an ending question. What are you doing to bring the redemption closer. 
what are you doing to make this world a better place? With that, I wish you a Shavuot of.